You're listening to another episode of the Zagger. So up here, continuing our social distance mini series, a special three-person pod today. Two special guests, alums of the same NLC class who actually also work together. One is Nick Mavoin, LAC school board member, and the other is Daniel Tenner. She's the chief of staff for Nick. So I think they still get along. We'll find out. Times are strange. Thanks for listening to this episode. Lots to talk about. Let's get to it. All right, Daniel, I was trying to remember this. Did you do you meet Nick for the first time in NLC in 2015, or did you all meet before that? I think it was probably the first time that we met or at least had any extended interactions, yeah. Did you ever see a world where you would end up working for him, with no. him? No. Bossing him around, any of it? Uh, maybe that, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I saw a world in which we would uh, be debating uh, ed issues all the time, and that turns out is the world that we live in now. Yeah. And Nick, what, what do you remember about the 2015 class? Because you were still on the fence about running then, right? Yeah, well, you say, are we still getting along? I don't, I don't know that we got along. I mean, we not, probably better today than then. Yeah, I mean, my, um, uh, I mean, I'm forgetting the NLC uh, semantics here. The big, big question or the yeah. whatever was about whether I should uh, run for school board, and I'm pretty sure Danielle's answer was no. So the irony of us now working together, uh, you know, hits me every day. Danielle, what does the chief of staff do exactly for a school board member? It's a great question, and I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, LA Unified is so big. It's one of the few um, elected school boards that have staff, um, and that would include the chief of staff. And so my role is to manage the other staff on our team, which includes, you know, a comms person, an operations um, person, someone who works solely on policy and some community engagement folks, um, and to help just ensure that Nick is being the board member he wants to be and is ready to um, be prepared um, wherever he goes throughout the day. Um, so just to make sure he can he can shine and to help him implement his vision. And Eric, I'll, I'll just say, you know, I think um, Danielle run, runs the show and my um, philosophy in hiring talent was, you know, get people who are smarter than you and disagree with you and uh, co-op them into being on your team rather than, you know, outside of the tent, as it were. And so Danielle has been with us since the beginning, first as policy director and now chief of staff. And, you know, not only does she make the train run on, run on time, but I think that initial skepticism about running in the first place, um, her perspective as a former teacher and special ed advocate and parent, uh, you, you know, helps make me um, not just the board member I want to be, but a better board member. So very grateful for that, despite our frequent disagreements and debates. Yeah. And then Danielle, in the office, how many days, hours did you have prior to when schools closed and kids weren't allowed back was this like a 24-hour turnaround all of a sudden you're in that mode or do you have a sense this was going to happen so you were prepping as an office what did that actually look like behind the scenes yeah i mean we i think our office started to think about this back in january not the fact that all the schools would be shut down but we started to sense that there was a looming problem that we would need to start preparing for and so in january we started asking questions what's our plan how how is the district prepared for what's coming if it comes and then it sort of slowly ramped up there were some plans around you know if we have one case how do we isolate that case and maybe shut down a school starting to think through those things and then suddenly it, it got 
as we headed towards the end of February and early March, it became very clear that this was going to be a massive disruption. Um, and so there was a week period where I think our world was turned completely upside down a few times within the span of every day um, with the board first voting to um, allow the superintendent to have some sort of emergency um powers to uh, to contract for things and do some other things. And then eventually the meeting that led to the shutdown of the schools um, on the Friday, the, the 12th, I believe it was. And then Nick, with orgs this large, there's typically some type of playbook that exists, right? When there uh, could be an earthquake or, you know, we saw, um, you know, people phoning in bomb threats, those kind of things. There is some chain of command and, and protocols to follow. Was that true for something like this or is it really kind of jamming all the playbooks together? Is it making a new one? What does it look like for you? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, just since I've been on the board and, and Danielle's been with us, we, we've had um, a strike, we've had wildfires, we've had school closures. And so in some ways it wasn't our first rodeo. I think we were, we were hesitant to close because of the social safety net that the district provides for hundreds of thousands of kids, everything from three meals a day to a stable uh place where, where they can come to, of course, their education. And so, um, like Danielle said, I think there was a lot of making sure we were ready for the moment when we were going to have to close, but it, it was a tough decision given those factors. And then, yes, I think the district is often better at the operation logistics side sometimes than the instructional side. And I think we saw that in our initial response, uh, quick turnaround to get what initially were going to be childcare centers, but then when we didn't get sign off from public health officials, just uh, grab-and-go food distribution centers. And LA Unified is now running the largest food bank in the country, uh, then moved um, you know, quickly to get tech and connectivity for our kids. And now um, using this opportunity over spring break to kind of hone in on the distance learning. I mean, this is uncharted waters for school districts across the country. I think to the extent that we were prepared um, to kind of to pivot and do at least the food and operational side, I think those prior the disasters gave LA Unified a little leg up. I also think that the fact that we had been thinking about tech, obviously the infamous iPad debacle before my time on the board, but the district hadn't been thinking about moving to one-to-one. And so, uh, you know, one one device per student. And so when I look at other districts around the country, I think we had a significant head start in moving towards distance learning. Um, We still have a long way to go, but, you know, I think that was to our benefit. And then all three of us, you know, taught in classrooms and so have some slightly different awareness of what the execution of distance learning is like from a teacher perspective. I mean, Danielle, I'll start with you. What what do you want teachers to be thinking about as they're executing that? And then Nick, after she's done answering, I'd be curious what you'd want the district to think about as it pivots to intervention and how we're going to catch kids up really fast once we see them again. So Danielle, what, what are your thoughts on the first piece there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's important to just acknowledge that this is an impossible time for everybody and that everybody is dealing with their own circumstances and that includes teachers. Um, you know, the I I am grateful for all the teachers that I still talk to and who are trying their very best to get things done, including many who have children at home. And I can tell you as a parent, um, having kids at home and attempting to do anything this is really challenging. And so, you know, I, I would expect for our teachers that the really the most important immediate thing is to try to just get in touch with kids. You know, we know how important it is for kids to have continued contact um, with some 
you know, adult um, who maybe is an extra set of eyes. And I know that the teachers I've talked to, that was their first, um, their, their first interest is, you know, do I know where everyone is? Are they safe? Do I have a contact with them? And then from there, you know, it's just trying new things and trying to make it work. Um, you know, providing some, uh, online instruction and resources and, and, and just, and just, testing things out because we know that, you know, no directive from the district is going to say, this is how you teach in a crisis like this, that that's just not going to be effective. Um, but, but, but trying to work alongside their partners at their school sites and their principals, who I think have a good um, bird's eye view of what's happening at a school to just um, see what instruction we really can make work during this time and to get creative. Yeah. And I'll just, I mean, I'll echo that gratitude to our teachers, all of our employees. I mean, one of the, the first decisions we made as a district was to make sure that we were continuing to keep all our employees on fully paid and with their benefits. And we employed nearly 80,000 people in LA. And so I wanted to acknowledge, you know, that their well-being uh, comes first. And, um, you know, I think just like we were thinking about scaffolding and meeting the needs of, of kids, you know, food and safety and then instruction, same goes for our employees. And so we want to make sure that they're taking care of themselves um, because we know that they can't be good good teachers or good uh, maintenance and operation staff, good anything if they're not safe and, and healthy at home. I think from a systems perspective, um, you know, I think something that Warren Buffett has said about recessions is that, uh, you know, when the tide goes out, you see who's been swimming naked. And I think that this is going to expose across the country uh, the gaps that educators know have, have existed about what do kids know um, about some great teaching, about some teaching that needs improvement. And so I'm hopeful that there's an opportunity to think about competency-based learning, mastery-based learning. When we have kids come back to schools around the country in the fall, which is where it looks like this is going, um, the assumption that, okay, you're in eighth grade, now you're ready for ninth grade um, is not going to hold true. But I think there are a lot of us who would say that's never held true. Um, we know that kids are being promoted uh, without learning content. So to the extent that there is a sea change educationally where we look at how do we really assess diagnose where kids are and make sure we get them where they need to go. To me, that's the systems level thinking that I want LA Unified and others to really address as kids come back is how do we know if kids are ready for the next grade? What does that, you know, what do grades even mean right now? And um, how do we make sure we're filling in the gaps, uh, gaps that we've known have always existed, but now we see who's, uh, you know, who's been swimming naked. We come back with Nick and Danielle. We'll talk a little bit more about school life and when we might see that return and some other odds and ends. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. Nick, is the most frequent question you're getting when will kids come back or is it something else? Yeah, it probably is now. You know, it's been such a moving target. And I think um, we've had the governor, the state superintendent, the, the CDC, everyone's saying slightly different things. Um, so I think initially, you know, it was uh, some questions we get are around kind of what's, what's the structure of the stool, school day going to look like around the food, uh, you know, um, procurement. And then, uh, yeah, when's, when's school coming back? And now we're getting some questions around like, what is prom? What does graduation look like? As we realize there are a lot of seminal events, especially for our seniors that, that can't happen. Daniel, one of the things I've been asking folks who've been on the Zag lately is, is there a particular system that those folks might have been interested in considering now resetting. So we talk a lot about the healthcare system resetting, or if there's other high priorities that you typically couldn't get done unless you're kind of in a pause like we are now. You know, the example I keep trying to beat the drum on is 
changing some of the mobility realities for Delray, for example, right? Could you use this time to get rid of street parking and paint dedicated bus lanes or build bike lanes, those kind of things. When you think of policies in education, maybe for the district or even across the country, does anything come to mind that you'd want to reset, given that we have this very unusual time period where, where there is kind of a pause and you might have a blank slate of sorts? Yeah, I mean, I think this is something that um, Nick and I have been talking about a lot lately. As we emerge from sort of the immediate crisis, um, what 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 can we think about moving forward that might be some some good to come out of this? I mean, there have been some things, you know, such as the ability for um, students to take food home, which previously was not allowed um, mm. under some F. Uh, um, some federal guidelines, um, and maybe that's something we should continue because we know that's important for for students, um, for health, and, and for um, for learning as well. Um, there, I think, are other big questions um, about, you know, like Nick mentioned, mastery learning. You know, is this an opportunity for us to think about? Maybe it's not about the number of minutes you sit in the seat. Maybe we really ought to focus on trying to make sure we're we're looking at, you know, what can we do to make sure kids learn first and foremost or have co um, competency in something. Um, so those questions around mastery learning and also the instructional calendar. I mean, this has been an interesting opportunity mm -hmm. for everybody to be forced to work flexibly um, and to work in new and different ways. And is some of that flexibility around the work day and schedules for teachers and students, is that something we want to carry forward? And another thing that Nick has talked a lot about in the last year or so is, you know, we have had, as he mentioned, school closures for things like wildfires here in California. And California has not really built into the school calendar a way to appropriately address that and so moving forward as we continue to have either coronavirus related or other types of crises can we you know build sort of um distance learning into what we do all of the time understanding that it's never going to replace um in-person interactions with teachers nick is there anything else you'd want to try to reset that she didn't mention I think she got most of it. And like Daniel said, this is something we've been, you know, because we're both kind of operating, but also the policymakers, we've been trying to lift our heads up and look not just at the immediate time horizon, but the, the medium and longer term. And I think that she covered it. I mean, the other thing, you know, to the extent that we now see that internet access is not a luxury, but a necessity, um, you know, whether that's flexibility for what are called E-rate dollars that districts get kind of subsidized internet to the extent that we can um, expand that definition for at-home learning or just universal internet access um, and looking at previous emergencies in American history where they've said, okay, we need a highway system or we need a telephone system. You know, now we need an internet system. And so that I think could be a big one that comes out of this. Um, but I, I think the, the school calendar looking at minutes versus hours uh, and then that flexibility around you know, how do we know what, when kids know something and when they're ready to move on should, should be big ones that we're all thinking through. I think one other thing that we've talked about a little bit is this crisis has revealed that how, how important schools are to communities and this idea of schools as community hubs and schools or community schools um, has become um, sort of highlighted in this moment. And as LA Unified and other places are looking to expand community school models um, with whatever definition of that you use, um, this is an opportunity uh, potentially to um, continue to expand upon that, um, to really focus on how um, schools are interacting with families. Um, and finally, also just, you know, parents are having to be engaged in their children's education in a new 
um, an expanded way. Obviously, we want to continue to make sure that's equitable because we know it's currently not. But I think there's an opportunity around parent engagement here that um, is unprecedented because we are, in, in most cases, with maybe the exception of high school kids, very um, reliant on making sure that parents understand what the expectations are for kids right now. And, and maybe we can um, use that to think about, you know, improved uh, relationships with parents uh, moving forward as well. And Eric, just to put a finer point on, on Danielle's comment around community schools, I mean, this is revealing uh, the extent to which schools are social safety nets, not just for kids, but for their families. And so it, it's a role that we relish. I think one of the reasons I love my job is because we're able to touch so many aspects of a family's life from from food security to, of course, education to now the tech that we're providing. Um, but we need to be funded adequately. And so I think, you know, it, this is going to be tough as we go into a prolonged recession. But I think the idea that, hey, schools are these community hubs and uh, in some ways represent the abdication from other areas of government who just aren't thinking, you know, thinking about the needs of the whole community. We, for example, the school district are providing meals to the city's homeless shelters uh, right now. That, that's a role we enjoy and appreciate because we want to be a good community partner, but fund us adequately. And let's look at healthcare funding so that we can um, support kids' health, physical and mental health needs. Let's look at more funding for kind of food distribution. Like Danielle was saying earlier, the flexibility to let food, uh, kids take food home to their family. So I hope that this does impress upon folks the central role of schools and then not just as a way to say, oh, great job, LA Unified, taking care of the community, but here's how we're going to uh, fund you adequately to continue to do so. Last thing, Nick, are you pretty much by yourself at home? Who, what's your what's your self, uh, your quarantine status these days? Yeah, well, so my girlfriend was planning to move in on April 1st, which she did. And it's actually amazing. I don't know how we would have had the time to move my stuff, organize everything uh, without being quarantined. So it's an interesting silver lining. So, so she's here um, in our, you know, I guess it's us in our quarantine pod, as it were. I like it. And then Danielle, you have two beautiful kiddos. Any advice for parents out there who are dealing with two or more children? Um, no advice, just a <laughs> lot of empathy and uh, well wishes. <laughs> have have y'all had any crazy weird Zoom stories? Are y'all doing like district huddle ups or board meetings via Zoom? Any Zoom bombing? What's the latest with that? You know, we, we so our team has definitely been doing kind of Zoom um check-ins and video calls with, you know, internally and then with other folks in the district. I'll say we had our first Zoom board meeting um, and uh, great stories to come out of that. If it weren't closed session and I would be violating confidentiality, I would share. But let's just say it's uh, we're, we are all learners, as my colleague Monica Garcia says. And I think that that has come uh, come true when it comes to the tech capacity around Zoom meetings. I think, that's, I think one of the best Twitter threads I read was after the first city council uh, meeting, there was somebody who basically broke down everyone's personality based on what their background was. Uh, right. So you had like Bonin was in some kind of like garage dad cave situation. Uh, <laughs> they had Corettes with some weird art on the wall. And it was just, yeah, this very like methodical, thoughtful, analytical approach to what was actually going on in people's homes while they're doing the meeting. I, I think people would pay lots of money to hear what was going on with school board members as well. So if you don't need some extra, revenue for the kiddos that might be the way to make some extra money i know i have realized in zoom meetings that my home office as it was pointed out to me is like half doctor's office with a few diplomas <laughs> on the board and then half childhood bedroom with a picture a pic soccer ball picture frame with a picture of me as like a, a young soccer player so i guess yeah the zoom uh you know room personalities coming out through zoom meetings for sure yeah danielle have you had any of your 
kiddos drop in on meetings to offer their two cents? Oh, definitely. Um, my my youngest just likes to bang on the keyboard and stare straight into the computer screen at about an inch away. A little um, creepy. My oldest likes to just sit and watch. It's very interesting. She's actually huh. um, been, she's uh, four and a half and she's very good at keeping quiet and just watching. And it's almost a little creepy, I'm sure to others. Um, but- well, we enjoy it. I think, I think, uh, Sid and Ty have made our you know team meetings all the more exciting and enjoyable, especially with their new matching cowboy hats that I think were a gift for for Ty's birthday, which was this week. Yes, so. they are cowboy hats that have like glow lights that shine. It is um, a sight to behold. Nice, good stuff. Listen, thanks for all you're doing. Thanks for coming on. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Zag. Make sure to catch all the past episodes we've been dropping the last two weeks and all the places you get your podcast: SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. They're all there. And if you're really bored, there's 200 plus episodes over the last year and a half or so. See what all the other progressives are doing across the country to be inspirational and to affect change. Until next time, we'll catch you soon. <laughs>